Welcome to yet another episode of Empire State of Cannabis. I have a very special guest today, Nika. She's the co-founder and CEO at Sativa Remedy. Nee, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and super excited for our conversation. Absolutely. So, I mean, everyone knows Nee, right? But in case you don't, um, Sativa Remedy is a really cool uh, shop in the Buffalo area um, that basically the way I would describe it is they curate um, cannabinoid hemp products um, from producers throughout the state and, and also out of the state too, uh, for their consumers, right? I think you see a lot of times retailers only sell their own brand or, you know, um, sell other products and then also sell, you know, cannabinoid hemp. Um, but that is, if you're going there, you're looking for, you know, a custom curated experience for cannabinoid hemp. Need did I, I get that right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what our, our specialty is. So I have my background in chemistry. And it was really nice to be able to kind of utilize those skill sets to vet products as they were coming out on the market. We saw the boom in 2018, but at the same time, while great opportunities were opening up the normalization of hemp and cannabis in general, you saw a lot of less than reputable products mm. being brought out on the market, number one, or very high quality, but seemingly overpriced. The market was hot at the time. So you're seemingly overpriced products. And for me, what was really most important was having quality without having to sacrifice quality over budget. Yeah. Everyone should have equal access to good, high quality, affordable plant medicine because this was given to us, put on this earth for human consumption, in my opinion. Yeah. So when did your store, when did you start the store then? We started in early 2018, really getting the feel for the industry. Um, it was really fun. Before I graduated from UB, I got a chance to participate in a um, sandbox business pitch competition. And I was like, I'll dip my toes into business, see if this is something that really interests me. I learned about um business pitching, putting together a business idea. And one thing led to another. And six months now, we're like, we're going to start a hemp CBD business. And we're this is going to be the model. We're not going to make our own products. We're just going to vet our own products. And Kaylin, we started with six foot vendor tables at as many wellness fairs that we could possibly get into. Wow. Um, Turned away, got a lot of no's because there's still a lot of confusion about cannabis. It's like, hey, this is a family-friendly event. Can't be huh. here. It's like, we sell non-intoxicating products, but you learn how to really approach folks and really yeah. educate them and, and tell them why it's valuable to have Sativa Remedy there to clear up these misconfusions, to address concerns. But then at the end of the day, um, clients get to walk away with some really good affordable products that they can try. Awesome. So, well, and I think the being able to start at a farmer's market and start these markets is key. And so you mentioned that and you mentioned quality. Um, and then also, you know, obviously you were very um, involved in the activism around when the hemp regs originally had come out last fall. And, you know, there's the flower ban there. But what did you take away from those regs in terms of positives, right? Maybe on the quality labeling perspective yeah. and negatives, such as the hemp flower brand, and also it led no open, no pathway for like farmer's market vending. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm always pro-regulation when it protects consumer safety, when it sets a standard for the market. I think that's always been the issue with cannabis. Cannabis in its nature fluctuates from terpene profiles to cannabinoid profiles, but we definitely need um, standardization industry in terms of good manufacturing practices, uh, labeling requirements. I can't tell you the amount of products that I've seen that are mislabeled full spectrum versus isolate, whether that's purposely or just, you know, not knowing what the difference between those um, products are. And so when the hemp regs came out, I was really excited because I had read New York State was going to set the golden standard. And I thought it would make my life as a retailer so much more easier. Mm. Um, I was going to be able to now finally source from um, New York State companies, hyper localize our business and bring on some really wonderful local brands because previous to hemp regs, I couldn't source my hemp flowers from New York State farmers. There was a little caveat in the um, research partner agreements. So I was doing a lot of my sourcing from out of state at the time. We started vetting New York State farmers. We did the um, Flower City Cup, which was extremely fun. And it was a way to bring consumer awareness to the hemp flower ban, but also generate public comment. We yep. knew from working in a retail space, um, having those connections with consumers that there was great value to hemp flowers. There still is. There's a lot of folks who enjoy it for multiple reasons, but at the end of the day, we recognize that flower is one of the most affordable ways for everyone to get access to plant medicine. It's not always for smoking. Folks are turning it into their own edibles and tinctures and so forth. So seeing the flower ban was discouraging. And I'm so glad about the reception that we got with Flower City Cup. I think it allowed us to educate not only the consumer, but then bridge together this gap between the consumer and the farmers. So folks are like now recognizing how much hard work, skill and labor it takes to producing a craft hemp product, but also a craft cannabis product down the line in legalization. So I was really happy to kind of work together with Zach Sarkis from mm -hmm. Hemp Lab on that and Mary Kruger. Um, and it was a good time. I, I love doing um, educational, a lot of my business is rooted in education, um, raising that consumer knowledge base as we continue to grow and expand the industry, but then also making it really fun. <laughs> I yeah. think that's something we oftentimes, we, we talk about cannabis wow. business, hemp business, but we forget that it, it, we love that why we're in this is because it's fun, we enjoy it. And that's something I, my big takeaway from being able to do events like that. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's super hard industry to be in and a very challenging marketplace. But like you said, at the end of the day, it's supposed to be fun. Um, I think I think over 75% of the comments received around the hemp rags were about flour. So that's over 300 comments. And I'm sure the Flower City Cup helped. Um, uh, Zach Sarkis, who you mentioned, runs Hemp Lab. And we actually did a, a podcast with him last year, a really interesting one about the role of nonprofits. Um, which I, I think is huge. I mean, you know, the value that that he and, and other nonprofits out the state bring and will bring, I think are going to be huge. Um, and my, my father actually judged the Flower City Cup. Um, and uh, so yeah, it was a really cool event, really cool experience. And that's something that you want to see, definitely, or I want to see with adult use cannabis, right, is these events that bring people together and showcase, you know, local grown flower and showcase, you know, like you said, the kind of the hard work and all the hard work that they put into it. Um, so you mentioned, so now you're selling hemp flower. Um, 
with CBD, I think CBD and cannabinoid hemp, and now we're finally getting the regs, but I think a lot of people are saying, well, there's not really a market for me when I grow the CBD for biomass or uh, for hemp flour, et cetera. Um, what do you see on the ground, right? As a store level, have you seen a drop off in stores? I mean, obviously we're just coming back from pandemic and, you know, lockdowns and restrictions and everything like that. But do you think that it was uh, a boom and a bust, or do you think it was a boom and we're still there, but that there's a lot more supply or what are you really seeing on the, on the ground level? I think from one of the most difficult parts of my job has always been finding high quality craft hemp flowers, right. Or in general, mm. um, high quality hemp products. And it's cause like you said, that boom really flooded the market with what I would call your basic CBD products. But now we've gotten a couple years under our belts and through flower city cup, I learned that there are amazing growers, really talented mm. folks in this industry that are, growing with really unique practices, Korean permaculture. I'm like being not a grower myself. I get giddy about these things because it's such a good learning opportunity for me. Yeah. I get to learn so much for, at so many levels as a retailer from the manufacturer producing side of it, from the growing side of it. And what I see coming up, I don't really see it as a bus. I think, you know, when you want to talk about like biomass, definitely you're going to seeing prices drop down. You're seeing the industry um, really stabilize itself too, in terms of pricing across the board on all products. But when we talk uh, about craft hemp, mm -hmm. especially craft hemp flowers, I think the market is just coming back up. Um, I think a lot of folks are recognizing the value, both um, in its medicinal aspects, but also in the varieties that you can have in hemp now and what is being um, cultivated. I have an amazing sour lifter that serves as a wonderful uplifting strain for my customers who don't necessarily wanna to lean towards THC first thing in the daytime, but they still wanna address their anxieties or address their pain in a way that is gonna be a clear headed uplifting feeling for them. So I think we're seeing a lot of folks start to explore this other realm of can and that's why like I think there's smoking really cannabis. Yeah. yeah like there's other ways to smoke cannabis. Yeah. yeah. You don't it's not yeah. always this um high THC potency is the end all be all. We're now moving into um this stage of understanding other cannabinoids, understanding the role of CBD, of CBG, and then how do we cultivate and craft plants that are going to produce maybe a certain specific effect, a certain um, specific um, terpene profile to address a certain type of condition. I think that's really unique. And then bringing on the challenge of doing it sustainably as well is really something um, that I've seen a lot of growers start to hone in on. So at the end of the day, I really think hemp, hemp CBD, cannabinoid products, regardless of THC potency is here to stay and that there's going to be a thriving market for it because there is truly from just a customer understanding, there are folks who simply enjoy that effect and they would rather keep their THC low and manage in other ways. And that's the beauty of this plant, right? We have the yeah. full spectrum. We have hundred plus cannabinoids, yep. terpenes that we're working with. How do we hone in on the different properties of this plant and take advantage of it in a sustainable, equitable way. Well, and I think that a lot of people kind of the misnomer around hemp flower is that, uh, 
people are just buying it because they don't have access to the real thing. But the reality is, is that, you know, when we talk about the real thing, right, THC dominant uh, cannabis is, is very readily accessible. But do you think that um, hemp flour um, or, you know, lower THC flour, do you think that people will continue to go into shops like yourself um, to buy it when there's a dispensary down the road? Or do you think the dispensary will then sell the low THC flour and that's just where you'll get all your cannabis flour? Do you like, do you think there's room for both? I think there's room for both in a dispensary model for sure. I do believe that it should be taken, hemp flour should be taken out of a lot of the gas station um, mm-hmm. off of less than reputable places, AKA the video store. Yeah, that's like a classic one, right? You buy in right. CBD at, you know, Video King or Blockbuster. Well, they needed to do something to stay alive, yeah. I guess, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But I really do believe in this um, seed to sale, making it accessible for the farmers to get into hmm. a cannabis dispensary. So allowing them to trim, dry, package their own flowers and be able to retail that directly to a cannabis dispensary. I hope that with Sativa Remedy, when legalization um we can transition into adult use cannabis that we're still going to retail hemp flowers from hemp farmers and recognize some farmers might also transition, but some might still keep to the bread and butter of hemp flowers. And I really hope to see that once regulation opens up, dispensaries will start recognizing the value of hemp flowers and begin mm. that process so that we can support a thriving hemp economy here because I, like you said, at the end of the day, cannabis, I think cannabis, adult use cannabis will come in, it'll come in hot, it'll get everyone's attention. But when the industry really levels out, we're going to see a lot of diversity in terms of um, ratios and product availabilities at the dispensaries. I think the regulation has to come in to really protect the consumers from less than reputable products. I've uh, also from seeing great flour to seeing flour that has been sprayed with mold, questionable growing practices. So those are the things we really want to protect consumers from. So now do you, so when you get a dispensary license, presumably you get a license to dispensary and that's obviously in your plans. Um, Does your business model stay the same in terms of curating, you know, craft growers or, um, you know, what do you really see your role as a dispensary, just another place for someone, you know, close by can buy pot? Or do you really think of yourself as, you know, th- doing the same thing you're doing now with with hemp and, and cannabinoids and really being a place where you find something unique in terms of, you know, um, grown, you know, locally grown, you know, high quality cannabis and, you know, curating that experience? Yeah, I think one of the things I'm really looking forward to is using our platform as a retailer to highlight other growers, manufacturers, and producers in the cannabis space or those that are transitioning into the cannabis space. You know, we've really seen the results of prohibition, the war on drugs, especially on black and brown communities. And as a retail, I really wanna use my platform to elevate and hyper-localize cannabis. I wanna be able to bring on other brands and to have inclusion in the industry um, when in terms of product selection, I think consumer awareness is going to raise um, folks are going to start understanding and questioning where they're getting their products from. And at least in Western York, I think we have this passion for supporting local. So <laughs> I always joke that um, Western York is known for hot dogs. 
like where everyone loves their Ted's hot dogs around here. Yeah. And I want to take sativa remedy. Like when you think of a local place, you think of Ted's, I want to take sativa remedy and, and use that cannabis platform to then when someone thinks of local cannabis, they think of sativa remedy. They're like, that's where I'm going to go explore a new product or find a new grower or find my favorite strain. Um, they think of supporting a local company that also supports other local growers, brands, et cetera. And I think that's going to be the fun part of my job, again, is being able to make these connections with these farmers, these growers and producers. So, uh, well, I mean, you guys also call soda pop out there, which is super <laughs> weird, but obviously uh, unique to Buffalo. But also, you know, what is what's going on in Buffalo, right? Because it's become this like hub of activity and of uh, cannabis culture, right? And I think that from an outsider perspective, Buffalo might be one of the last places you think of as being this hub for cannabis culture. But I think when you when you spend some time there, and I've spent a, a little bit of time up in Buffalo, I think you start to realize um, you know, how big that really is. And so are, are you from, are you from Buffalo? Yeah. So I okay. actually, my family, um, immigrated from Vietnam to Buffalo, uh, in 98. So I've been here 23 years, oh. um, officially wasn't born here, but pretty much raised in Buffalo. And there is, like you said, a very unique vibe to Buffalo. And mm -hmm. it, if you're not, the cannabis industry is just really like the rumblings are here. And I think it's because we are a huge tourism attraction. The city, you know, post pandemic is coming back to life. We're seeing more events. We're seeing um, just an amazing turnaround for this city. But I think that comes with the idea that folks are now more invested in their community. They mm. want to stay in their local community. After I graduated college, I was, I was set to kind of go to grad school, go to Boston, New York City, um, and build a career there. But I thought about it for a little bit. And I was like, Buffalo is a perfect place to build a business. It's, um, again, that love to support local is here. And I think it helps to start a business here and really create a brand here because you can really thrive here. Uh, the community is just bustling. And I, I, the summertime is amazing here. Our winters are iffy, but yeah. the summertime is, is amazing here. Just so much going on. And we're right by the canal. So, Tana, so um, Sativa Remedy, we're located in the city of Tonawanda, um, mm. right by the canal. So we're going to end 20 minutes from the Canadian border. So what you're seeing is all this development. But also what I think will be interesting is to see what cannabis companies take interest in Western New York and recognize the value that Western New York brings um, uh, in the future. I'm super excited to see all that come, come up. Yeah, well, me too. And I mean, you, you, you mentioned that there's almost this like local, um, you know, drive to buy local and like this community aspect of Buffalo. And I wonder if it's because Buffalo is all the way the hell out there. So it's like, you know, if you're out in Western New York, you know, you, you, you develop this culture and you really, you know, stick together, um, which I think is great. Um, but I wonder, though, to be successful, well, to make sure that all these growers in Western New York, I mean, presumably, let's say there's a good amount of, of cannabis growers that get licensed in Western New York. I mean, they're going to have to be successful, not just in Buffalo, but also in New York City. Right. Yeah. So do you see that translating over? I mean, obviously there is a drive to buy local and to buy from upstate or whatever that means if you're in the city, right? If you're buying products. Yeah. Um, but do you think that there's going to be a challenge with brands? I mean, obviously if you sell 
uh, uh, you know, cannabis there and you say, you know, it was grown in, in wheat field or it was grown, you know, um, in Chautauqua County or something like that. I mean, those around there know that, but if you go down to Brooklyn or Manhattan and start saying that they don't really know. And so, uh, you know, I wonder at that point, if, if that consumer base, which is huge and it's attractive, does that get swallowed up by the large MSOs um, that have the money to advertise and whatnot? Or do you think, you know, these craft growers from Western New York craft producers can cut through and, and be successful in other markets beyond Buffalo? I think as always, I'm like a hyper optimist in all yeah. senses. Um, and I think craft cannabis will still thrive. And it's really, you know, not even location-based, but quality-based. West New York, you know, New York as a whole, but West New York, we have access to waterways, uh, electricity, we have access to land. And I think, again, going back to hemp, having this, um, you know, hemp industry kind of be the forefront before cannabis has encouraged a lot of folks to really hone in on their craft. And I think you're going to see a lot of spectacular stuff come out of Western New York in terms of both flour, but also products. Because I think Western New York has become a great hub for innovation. We have 43 North here. We have so many young entrepreneurs that are just, you know, taking their training wheels off in Western New York and they're ready to take over the entire state. So I'm super excited to see that um, come out because I think there's a lot of untapped talent here and um, we're oftentimes underestimated as like the underdogs in Western New York. But I think um, in cannabis, the way it's been set up, you know, MSOs will do as MSOs do, but I think there's a really great chance just the way the legislation was written out mm -hmm. for for these small businesses, growers and producers to thrive and build a brand in West New York, but then take it to Rochester, Syracuse um, and New York City all the way. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, and I think it will also depend on how many retailers in New York City are like yourself and are craft focused yeah. and small businesses, et cetera. I mean, yeah. I think the, the cap on only having three locations is important. Um, and so when it comes to regulations, and I know Nee, you're, you're very well versed on regulations in the bill and, and the MRTA and what's going on in Albany politically, what makes you the most nervous about an adult use cannabis marketplace rolling out in New York? <laughs> right now, we don't know who's in charge of the OCM yet. I think that's yeah. what's all making us really nervous. And I think yeah. that will set the, um, those folks will set the, will set the, foundation for how regulations are rolled out. So the Office of Cannabis Management, um, who will be leading um, that group, but then also the advisors that are chosen. Oftentimes, I will say I'm really grateful for advocacy because advocacy allows folks like yourself, Kaylin, to go and talk to legislators and really connect them with what it means to be in the industry. Sometimes, you know, legislators have are dated with things to worry about, but having moments to tell them why our industry matters, why these regulations matter. So yeah, ho hopefully the OCM will set a really good platform and a standard for that. But then I think my biggest fear is just um, for social equity folks. Um, you know, folks like you and I are telling people to get their business plan together, get their ducks online. But there are folks who have no idea where to start and we don't have incubator programs yet. We don't have 
access to those um, loans yet. And the biggest word is MSOs, they have it together from day one, they can go ahead and put in their application and enter the industry barrier free. While a lot of social equity folks were are going to be waiting on the burner for whether it's access to capital or access to resources. And you know, my biggest thing is starting that from the beginning, identifying what resources, you know, as a small businesses we don't have, but then what resources do we have? I think what makes me an optimist is always seeing that small businesses have a huge or a better grip or a better understanding on their local community. And they're able to, you know, be flexible and adapt when needed to their community and provide to that. Whereas I think a lot of MSOs come in thinking they they understand what the community needs and doing as they please without really building that connection. And I think that's where retailers, like you said, become really important because we can highlight these growers and producers. And you know, as a TVRMA, we want to be able to be a small business that makes a big impact yeah. and, and bring on as many folks as possible that are producing high quality, affordable products. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting because both your, both me and, and, and yourself started our businesses through the help of university run programs. Yeah. Right. And so we were fortunate to be at a SUNY school to yeah. take those classes and to, to, yeah. to be, take advantage of those programs, right? So how do we make sure that, you know, we are actually getting to those, whether it's a legacy market or those just, to, you know, who are entrepreneurs who just don't you know, need a chance and need an opportunity. Yep, yep. How do we get to them, right? And I think that's going to be a big question. Now, I'm going to leave with this, this question I have for you. So I asked this question to Katie Meir uh, last episode about, um, and she is the uh, she helps, she's a lobbyist for the, um, medical cannabis industry association. Right. Mm -hmm. I said, does, um, does equity mean independently owned, right? So does independently owned businesses, especially on the retail side, does that equate to equity? Um, and I'd just like to know what your thoughts are on, on that question. I think what equity means at the end of the day is really ownership and a voice in your business. A lot of times we talk about equity and it boils down to percentages and numbers, but then we also see predatory practices um, come out. We can look at California and Colorado for that. Um, but I think equity as a business owner for myself, it, it really means being in a role to make decisions for my business without having to sacrifice what it is that I created my business for. I think mm -hmm. um, a lot of times when it doesn't mean like having full ownership, I think a lot of folks need to recognize that if you have to bring on an investor to get access to certain things, that it's something to always be open-minded about. You don't have to take this journey alone, so to say, and, and bootstrap it. Like everyone has their, their own different pathways to success um, and success, are, you know, each individual defines it, but being able to, sustain your equity, sustain your voice and sustain your mission in whatever business, whatever lane you choose to be in is really important, I think. And I think for social equity applicants and those um, who have been impacted by the war on drugs, it is very worrisome. How do you, a lot of folks don't know how to um, transition from legacy to legal, but that's where education comes in. It's about learning how to 
um, play the game, play it well, but then also teach others how to really play and succeed in it as well. I think how we maintain equity throughout the industry as we grow, as you know, the industry gets really hot, then it settles down. We have to remember at the end of the day, the cannabis industry was built on the backs of black and brown folks and incarcerating and ripping apart families. And we need to give equity in terms of both business ownership, but also a voice in where this community reinvestment pieces comes in. So it's about having a voice at every level, at every step of this process to make sure that we are um, really correcting the wrongs mm-hmm. of the war on drugs, but then also being able to, I have this really firm belief that cannabis can do good also outside of cannabis. And we want to be able to ensure that that continues to happen for multiple years. And that's what we talk about when equity and sustainability is those things. It's always making sure the community has a voice. Yeah. And a say. Yeah. Well, and I think you, 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 you said it well, I mean, you can, uh, do well in cannabis, but you can also do good. You yes, know. absolutely. Um, well, thank you, Nate, for joining us. Now, how can people find your shop? You said it was in uh, Tonawanda, right? Yep. Um, uh, and- you, you can feel free to visit our website as well, sativaremedy.com. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Sativa Remedy. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Nika, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I love being a hub of information and and education and resources. And I love helping people find hemp products that work for them and hopefully cannabis products one day too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was a fascinating conversation. And if you want more fascinating conversations, like subscribe, continue to listen and watch the Empire State of Cannabis. This was Nika. She's the uh, CEO and co-founder of Sativa Remedy.